Gentlemen, welcome to the Alpha M Podcast, the podcast where I talk business, self-improvement, lifestyle, and more. Whether or not it's just me sort of talking, a little bit of audio action for you to enjoy, or me sitting down with a special guest to find out more about the steps they took to become successful. Whether or not you're listening to this on the go, you're sitting at home right now listening, I appreciate your time. And so if you're ready, let's dive in to this next badass episode. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Alpha M Podcast. Today, I am incredibly excited to talk to somebody that I've been watching for years. I had the pleasure to meet once. He has a channel that truly, really resonates with me because, you know, when you think about charisma, right, it's this sort of like word that a lot of people talk about, but you don't really know exactly what it is or how somebody gets it. Well, Charlie over at Charisma on Command has basically systemized everything. He has been pumping out YouTube content since 2014. Charlie, I actually saw your 2014 first video. That couldn't have been your oh, first man. video because you were too good on that video talking about <laughs> body language and having the yeah. pens like intersect. Yeah. Right? That wasn't number one, was it? You deleted some, didn't you? <laughs> no, that was that was the first ever YouTube video that we did. I was in my bedroom in Brazil. And somebody was like, you know, this stuff, because I was writing blog posts at the time, like, you do realize this would look better on camera. You're talking about social skills. I was like, fair point. So we stood in front of the camera in my friend's bedroom and, and ripped With that one out. With the flag on so the wall I'm, I'm and everything. The deep cut. Yeah. No. So, okay. So back to, back to Charlie. Started Charisma on Command. YouTube channel has over 4.5 million subscribers. Also has Charisma University, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. And uh, you've just been just really, it's been fascinating to watch you grow and the content that you guys have been putting out. You know, one of the things that I, I noticed just as a, as a content creator is just that you, you've systemized and structured your thumbnails, the way that you do your video, you're not even on camera that much. And so a yeah. lot of voiceover stuff, Charlie, tell everybody how you kind of got started into this because you're a 33 year old dude, right? 33, 34, how yeah, old? 30, yeah, I'm 33, I'm, I'm old on YouTube, so. Okay. You, was, you uh, know, I'm old on YouTube and, um, <laughs> you know, exactly. But no, I just, I just want to hear like, how did it get started? How did you decide to start posting videos about, about social skills and, and charisma? Yeah. Well, well, the genesis of, of doing my own business was the four hour work week. I was a consultant. My friend handed me the book and it spoke to me because it said that I didn't have to see my future as a series of lateral moves to eventually wind up in a corner office. And I think that that's very common for kids today. But when I read that book, it was mind blowing that I could run my own thing. So we started off trying a parkour business. We made a parkour DVD, which is that urban street running type stuff. Didn't work very well because we had no personal attachment to parkour. Uh, so then the next thing we said, it has to so be wait something- So wait a second, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you decided to start a business on parkour basically on, on something that you really had nothing to do with you. I mean, you, yeah, you weren't it was, really in it, So the Venn diagram was, you know, what does the world need and what will, what will people potentially pay for? And Casino Royale was popular. And there's that, that first scene where people are like scaling buildings. I always thought it was cool, but uh, I, when I tried it, I fell on my ass and it hurt really bad. So I immediately quit, but we hired a guy to shoot this video and we paid him. And then we uh, did all of the B roll and the audio editing. But even though it was working, it was selling and we were using Google ads to do it. We were profitable, which I didn't realize if you're profitable day one of Google ads, you've got a business. Uh, but I didn't have the drive to continue because I wasn't passionate about parkour. So what, that uh, what, kind of what, year, what year was that? How long that ago? was if we started our first video in 20, probably 2012. 
Wow. Okay. So this was back before Google advertising got to be what it is now. I mean, it was still yeah. big, but it's yeah. now, you know, the, the keywords and the bidding is, is a lot different and it looks Correct. a lot different, but, but yeah. go on. All right. So you, you thought about doing this park for, you did it, you were profitable. Um, do you, were you generating like substantial revenue from it? Or, no, or? no. I mean, not, not even close. We were, we were making a couple hundred in profit a month, maybe. Um, okay. And then, you know, keywords got a bit more competitive that dipped to about zero. And we could have, as with any business, persevered and figured out a way, released a, a backend product that was more sophisticated, but we just didn't have the drive. It wasn't something that we were passionate about. And I'm, when I say we, I mean my best friend from high school, Ben, uh, we, we went on this whole kind of journey together. So the next thing that we did, we knew whatever it was, it had to be something that we would stick with, even if it wasn't making money, even if it was taking a long time. And for us, that was other people. Uh, I, was, I was the extremely shy one, but even my friend Ben in high school, we were not as cool as we would have liked to have been, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so had always behind the scenes kind of discussed our frustrations with girls and you know the difficulty of getting and maintaining a girlfriend and, and how to, he went to college and immediately sort of blossomed, I did not. So we were having these conversations about what it took to make the friends that you wanted to make and date the girls that you wanted to date. So this was a, an ongoing discussion between he and I, and we said, okay, we've learned quite a bit since our college days. Why don't we start talking about this? And the first thing that we did was we taught a class on Skillshare. At the time, I don't know if you remember, Skillshare was in-person only. So we, we rented it was? out. Yeah. Yeah, man. Prior to the pivot, they were, they, you could rent out classrooms and they would just help you do the booking. So we had 10 people in this tiny room in New York city and we talked about how to meet girls in New York City during the day on your lunch break. That was our first class that we ever did. Uh, people really liked it. We how much, how much did you charge for that class? That class was free to half the participants because I gave away codes. And then it was $10 for the remaining five participants. So net, we, we took home 15 bucks. And then minus subway fees, we each made about four fifty on that first class. Nice, okay. <laughs> um, so not 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 wildly popular, but the response was very good. So we got into what has since become and really wasn't a big thing at the time, like sort of traditional dating coaching, uh, where we were talking yeah. about relationships and guys and girls and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I can I can slow this down or speed it up, but essentially, we realized that the guys that we most wanted to work with, our close friends were repelled by dating coaching dating coaches they yeah no that's like the idea there was signing there was up and and saying i struggle in this particular area with women for them it was like no 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 that's yeah. you know of course that's not a problem for me even though they would sure. ask us questions about dating uh so we knew that if we were going to attract them or we realized rather that we were going to have to put it in a more palatable package that included career friends all of those sorts of things as well. And that's when we shifted from pure dating coaching to charisma. Uh, and that was a big inflection point for us. Still was writing on blogs, sharing what we were doing on various forums, but that was where we started to get traction. And then several months after that, we posted that first YouTube video. So I'm kind of condensing to the first two years. And yeah. if you want to hear more, I'm happy to, to slow it down. But that was the evolution from, I know that I want to get out of the corporate grind to here's my first attempt. And then finally, by the time we had charisma on YouTube, we had a niche that was, that people were so how, to. So how long did you have the charisma on YouTube before you were able to basically quit your full-time job? What were you doing as a career mm -hmm. up until that point? I dove in really quick. So I, 
charisma we had for about six months before I quit. Now, it wasn't that I was able to quit. It was that uh, I was I was a contractor and I was let go is what happened. Okay. And it was, okay, do I double down and find a new job or do I try to make this thing that is absolutely not earning me money and not enough to sustain myself work? And that was what I did. So, I mean, I, I scraped the bottom of the barrel in terms of my income. I Airbnb'd my bedroom. I took out my 401k and took the penalty just to make rent. Like we were, we were really tight for. You were going for it. I mean, that is, that is, that is an incredible story. I think that's something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they, they, they love the idea of starting a business, but when it comes to actually doing it, one of the things that prevents them is, is the comfort aspect, but that got taken away from you. And it was, it was basically your decision. Okay. I'm either going here or I'm going here, but you believed in yourself and you were young and you didn't have you know, the responsibilities of, of a family. And so it allowed you to sort of scratch that, that entrepreneurial itch and really kind of go for it. And so once you started the YouTube channel, what was sort of that process like, you know, in terms of how did you start making revenue from that? Did you automatically start to have courses? Was Charisma University, was that a thing from the very beginning? What does that process look like to you? Yeah. So back in our blog days, we realized that we needed to make money, right? You can have a lot of eyeballs on your stuff and we didn't have a tremendous amount, but that's not, that doesn't convert to dollars. So we were fortunate enough to find a course. I believe at the time it was called, I forget what it's called. I think it still exists. It's called the interactive offer or something like that. And it walked us through a process of co-creating a product with our existing audience. So we had probably about 5,000 people on our email list from the blog post that we were writing. And we said, hey, we're thinking of creating some sort of digital product, but if we do it on our own, we're just going to make it for us. So we want to take 25 people out there that want to get a discount on the price of the course, work one-on-one with us and help us shape what this content is. And through going through the process that laid out there, we it was one of the best decisions that we made for our business because the courses we have it now fits the market so perfectly. The idea that I had in my head of what day one and what week one of our course would be was personal to me. But when the people came in and said, no, day one needs to be, how do I introduce myself? You know, day two needs to be, what do I say when somebody asks me, what do I do for a living or where I'm from? Because I feel like conversation just stalls there. They really helped us nail our table of contents. And then as we answered those questions, the course sort of evolved and has been structurally very similar to when we started, uh, which is impressive given the course like four or five years old. We've updated it, but the, the bones of it are very similar. That is absolutely amazing. And I, and I love that you went to your audience. And I think that's a, another incredible takeaway is you've got something in your head, you know, mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, you, you think, oh, I want to do it this way. But then when you actually throw it out there to the wilder, your, your, your audience, let them help you basically create a product for them. I mean, obvi- that is a, a something that is absolutely genius, in my opinion. Um, yeah. so, so talk a little bit, what is charisma? You know, the first time I really... I guess, heard and, and was really, you know, sort of thinking about this concept of charisma, it was really your YouTube channel because, you know, you hear about this word charisma all over the place. He has charisma, but, but what is charisma? If you had to break it down to a five-year-old, what is it? Yeah. What does that well, word actually mean? It was funny at the time. It was a word that existed, like you said, in the minds of people, they'd heard it before. It wasn't French to them, but it was not one that was easily defined by, by most people when you ask them. The way that I've considered it is it is the ability to influence people often with force of personality. And I purposely exclude things like 
paying people or you know being very beautiful from what constitutes having charisma it in my understanding and my definition of it is it, it comes from the person that you are the way that you behave the signals that you are sending out uh, with your body language tonality the word choice all of those sorts of things and then in terms of influence that can be everything from making people want to date you to making people want to promote you to making people just want to you know they think of you when there's a party and they want you know who i want to come this particular person uh and I didn't realize because influence, I think, was a dirty word when I was growing sure. up. The idea yeah. that you would persuade someone to do something differently than they might have otherwise it's like a, done. It's, yeah, kind of like cult leader, right? You like yeah, every yeah. cult leader in the history of of the universe, you know, has 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 had incredible charisma, sure. right? It's just this ability to influence people, and people are just drawn and and like almost like a magnet to them. You know, people even like Charlie Manson, and like yeah, it's it's just they they have something that that really just draws people to them. So in a less culty way, you are <laughs> helping people basically figure out and unlock that from within. Now, would you say that there are certain people that are kind of like just born with charisma? Like you'll see, you know, certain people that are just, they've just got it, but mm -hmm. it is a skill that you would consider that somebody can learn. Right. Yeah. So, so, and I guess that was kind of like sure. a question and a statement is charisma something that some people are just born with, or is it a learned sort of attribute? I, I don't think anyone is born with it, but I do think that people are socialized with it in, in at such an early age that it's it's just their nature. Uh, they were charismatic five-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds, and it, it's just come naturally to them. I really do think that especially middle school social status can have a long-term effect on who people are unless you take conscious steps to change. And that was one of the biggest fears that I had. And one that was, you know, I was, I was about to fulfill my middle school destiny which was shy, introverted, quiet, Charlie forever uh, until I consciously intervened in that. So I don't think people are born with it. I think everyone learns it. I think some people are unconscious of the fact that their dad or their social circle gave them a lot of the things that they don't think about having learned, but are still, you know, learnings. Uh, and then can it be learned? Yeah, I think everyone learns it. I had to learn it consciously. Uh, because I didn't learn it before I was 12 or 15 years old. I learned it when I was, you know, 18 to 30. Uh, and I think that that's some of the people who watch it say they enjoyed for the entertainment value, but I think the people that come to our channel and say it really helps them, they didn't have that, you know, strong role model that taught it to them. They weren't in the social circle that just got it. So for, for me and for a lot of people who watch the channel, it is something that, that is practiced uh, until it becomes habit. Yeah. I, I've often said that if you have great social skills, it's almost like a secret weapon, right? Yeah. If you have the ability to go in and interact with people and make small talk with people that you don't necessarily know and, 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 you know, you can keep a conversation going. And so one thing that I'd just like you to sort of share, what is a tip for somebody that is going, you know, maybe it's a networking event or a party, or just you're socializing with people that you're not necessarily comfortable with. What is your best piece of advice on how to basically you, you mentioned introduce yourself, but then how to keep that conversation going. And so sure. how do you introduce yourself, Charlie? Cause that is, like you said, let's start from the basics. Like where do yeah. you start? Yeah. So I, I'll, I think the first thing that I'll do even prior to introducing yourself, and this is one that people slip on and I can be lax on at times, but it's when you are asked oftentimes the first question will be, how are you or how's it going? Find a way to be better than fine. Find a way to be better than good. Be more descriptive, be fantastic, amazing, great, or just have something to say and share. And that is literally the first thing that we cover in our course because conversations have a homeostasis. And if you start it at 
a level two in excitement, it is tough to crank it to a level seven. And if it's not above a five, people are going to have to go to the bathroom or dip at the networking event because there's more exciting things to do than talk to a, a person who's level two exciting. So level two exciting. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be stealing this from you, Charlie, but go on, keep going. <laughs> feel free, feel free. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's our first day is like literally go out there, find a person who's going to ask you how you're doing. It's really easy. If you ask them, they'll respond and just practice being phenomenal or awesome, or like have a short thing to say about it. Uh, then to recognize that the initial pieces of interaction are often social niceties that you want to help people break out of. So we ask each other because we don't know what else to say oftentimes, where are you from? What do you do? And we're trying to, you know, locate what, where might I have a commonality with this person? So the analogy that we've used is like Velcro. You want to put out a lot of potential hooks for the other person to sink into. So if you say, and then we could connect on this, you know, if I say I'm, I'm from the East Coast, I'm from Philadelphia, you might have an immediate hook, but somebody else might not with the area that I grew up. So I can say something like, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia, but I got really interested in entrepreneurship. And so I was able to travel South America for a long time, which is actually the place that I really consider home. But now, because I like, you know, uh, extreme sports or whatever, I live in Colorado, which is not true of me. But you, you find a way to give But them you are from Philly. Exactly. You're finding a way to give them. I like travel. <laughs> I like sports. I've lived in these different places. And each individual you'll see will hook into the piece that is intriguing to them. So extreme sports people are going to want to talk to you about mountain biking. People who love travel are going to want to talk to you about Latin America. So we, we help people really actually plan different habitual answers to where are you from and what do you do that enable conversation to just have several threads that can carry you at least for the next 10 minutes. Um, and then from there, we talk about how to, how to branch off. All right, Charlie. So that's great ideas in terms of when you go into some type of like social setting. But let's talk a little bit about dating, because that is one of the things that a lot of guys struggle with, right? It's that fear of rejection, that fear of, I don't know what to say. What is the best piece of advice you would give for actually approaching and introducing yourself to somebody? How would you introduce yourself to, you know, somebody that you're potentially interested in and talking to a little bit further to see if there's possibly some type of connection that you can make and um, possible dating scenario? Yeah. Well, I think that the first thing that one has to keep in mind, especially I imagine we're talking about young men because it is different from <laughs> young guys and young girls. The first thing that you have to capture when you're speaking to a girl or a woman, depending on how old you are, is their interest. And this tends to be one notch more difficult if you are at a bar or a party or a thing where that person is an attractive individual and a lot of people want to speak to them. So there's a number of ways to do this. You can be playful and sarcastic and create, you know, some sort of exciting new, uh, you know, you're talking about exciting topics. But the, the big thing is that what works for you to connect with a friend of a friend who's a guy is not going to suffice if you're talking to a hot commodity at a party. So the first thing is that you need to find a way to capture their interest. And there's, there's a lot of different things that we can talk about there. The second piece that I think guys often, especially early on, is that they do not have a standard outside of being attractive. And women can sense this. People want to be around people that like them for reasons other than the shape of their body. And if the truth of your experience is that, you know what, you could say just about anything and I would still be madly in love with you because you're pretty, it's actually going to be hard to maintain a conversation and a relationship. So we, we often work with people to be like, look, what are your deal breakers? And so one simple one might be, 
if this person, if I'm out to dinner with someone that I like and they're rude to a waiter or waitress, it doesn't mean that I'm going to end the date, but I am going to feel some sort of a turnoff or if they are, um, if they're not ambitious or whatever it is, everybody's got their different ones, but it's really to get clear on what your deal breakers are and genuinely find and search for a match that does not have those deal breakers because people can sense in a uh, still friendly way as you're sensing, as you're, as you're speaking to one another, if you have standards or if you don't. And if you don't have standards, it becomes very difficult. And then the hardest piece I think for, for a lot of young guys to do is especially today uh, is to maintain and build sexual tension. And that literally can start with, you know, resting your hand on their hand or, you know, little innuendo, playful hugs, those sorts of things. So those are the three broad buckets that I think about. And when I'm listening to any particular question from any particular guy, I'm always asking them, which of these three areas do you find yourself weakest in? Let's start in that bucket and then we can, we can move along. And so what, what bucket would you say guys are the most challenged at the, the tension or the gauging of interest? I, the most challenging one I would say is having standards <laughs> for, for a lot of young men. You know, some, <laughs> some guys are naturally funny. They can get in there. And there are some, there are other guys who struggle with that, but you can be interesting without being funny. You can have f- interesting travel stories. You can be up to really fun, ambitious things. If you're using what we talked about in, in the hook part of where, what do you do? Where are you from? You can quickly get into talking about interesting journeys that you've taken travels, uh, entrepreneurial ambitions, which I know a lot of people who listen to your podcast are starting off with. So that can be a very good way to get interest. What is often missed is the sense of having a standard. And I, and it sounds silly, but I promise the young guys out there that if you actually develop these things and if you actually search for them, it makes people want to spend time with you because they, they know that you are interested in more than the way that they look, which, which is very important to people, even though we spend so much time on, <laughs> on how we look. And of course, yeah. like people to like us for those reasons. No, absolutely. So talk a little bit about, about your entrepreneurial journey and where it's going, Charlie. You, mm-hmm. you started the university. How is that going? What is, what is the structure in terms of how do you guys, you know, I look at like a lot of different YouTubers I, and I love sort of figuring out where the revenue streams sort of come yeah. from. Where are the primary revenue streams from you guys? It's the ad revenue from the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. You guys don't do a ton of advertising or no. any, right? And so we, we work with Audible and we've worked with a handful of other uh, people. But the truth, of, uh, the truth, which yeah. I'm really grateful, and I tell this to as many people as I can who will listen, is that you, your audience should be more valuable to you than it is to Audible or someone else because they you should have the product that is best suited to them. So for us, it really doesn't make sense to have sponsors because when we do a, a read for our course, or we, we earn more money. Uh, and I really encourage a lot of people who are becoming influencers or having content channels to develop their own products, whether it's a physical product or an info product that earns them more money than sponsors will pay them. It makes you very uh, powerful in negotiations. And quite frankly, most of the time, sponsors just can't hit the rate that we would need to make it worthwhile. So our our biggest revenue stream is Charisma University sales from our YouTube channel. Uh, We also have AdSense, which is is really nice. And then we'll make a little bit of money from sponsorships. Uh, Like I said, we have like an ongoing one with Audible just to kind of break up the call to actions that we've done in the past, but the lion's share of our income is from our own digital course. How many employees do you guys have? We have, okay, so I actually have one in the other room he's visiting. So we have a a COO, we have two editors, we have three 
three women who help us with emails and customer support. And hold on, hold on, things. back up. I'm writing this down because because this fascinates me. Okay, so you have sure. you have okay C- CEO CEFO. What is it? You know what's funny is I uh, I am uh, along with with Ben and I. He was my co-founder. We're at the top and bottom of the org chart. We do a lot. Like this is something that we're trying to fix. Is that we're trying to remove ourselves from on the ground day to day things like making videos to try to make this a genuine business and not simply a passion artistic project. So there's Ben and I who are the founders. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a COO. He is responsible and he's he's great. He's out there right now for. Uh, really handling a lot of projects, coordinating management between different people uh, and keeping, not losing the forest for the trees when, when we're working on things. Then we have a video editor. Uh, who Just is, one? Does two, two video editors who will work on videos and thumbnails together. We have three support, uh, three, three women who work in our customer support team. And that's because we have so many different people doing, you know, questions about billing and all those sorts of things. We have a coach inside of Charisma University who is someone that we've worked with to be able to answer comments and questions. And if they don't know, they kick it up to me sort of thing. We have uh, sort of a, a volunteer, quite frankly, tech guy who is the husband of uh, one of our video editors. And he's just been really cool and has helped us out with a lot of the tech stuff that we've had. And then we have, I want I don't know how many, seven or more foreign language channel managers who each have teams of their own and they don't work for me they are on a 50 50 revenue split and they run spanish channel russian channel portuguese channel and they basically take everything that we do all the architecture that we've built for our tech stack translate it and then you know make their own youtube channels and and but they don't have they don't have the university they do. They do. Um, they have the university so, as well. Yes. Yes. Some, many of them do. Um, and that's where they, that's where it turns from like, Hey, I want, you know, I want my, uh, you know, the people in my country to be able to see this content to a lot of them are full-time on it and they have teams of their own and have made a, a nice income for themselves. So this is a, this is a substantial, I mean, business you have, I mean, uh, you know, just for your, your team, I mean, you're, you're looking at, you know, including Ben and Ben and yourself. I mean, you're at, seven, seven, eight people. And so, yes, that are, that are full-time. That's about, that's about right. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Um, how, how many, okay. So I don't, I don't want you to tell me, you know, like revenue numbers or anything like that, but you know, in terms of Charisma University, you know, how do you charge for that? And is it a, a monthly sort of membership fee that somebody is paying and, and how do you keep people interested? Because I think that's one of the things that I used to have a, a membership website a long time ago. And I thought, okay, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to just put out a lot of content. And it was all me that was generating this content. And I found out real fast after about two years that <laughs> this was not something that was going to be sustainable. At the time, I was making more money than I ever had. I was making like $100,000 from this course which was or this website, which was amazing because up until that point, I mean, literally I was making $25,000 a year how, but one of the other interesting things is how do you, you know, how do you keep people interested? How do you keep them sort of like the, the, the fitness club membership, right? The whole thing with them. And the reason why they do so well is they sign up in January, but then mm-hmm. they keep, you know, paying for the entire year because they feel guilty if they'd quit yeah, and yeah. all that, but only about 10% of the people that are members of, of fitness centers actually use it on a monthly basis. So how do you keep people interested? What is the structure of your university? Yeah. Well, the, the first thing is that I think 
subscription models, while they are touted by internet marketers as the make all the money, I, I actually think they're only suited for a hand for particular products. You mentioned a gym, which is something that you need on a regular basis in order to maintain. When we looked at our course, our goal was not to make something that you needed to come back to every month. Like we wanted you to be able to go in, get a skill set, and then not refer back to it for a very long time. So we made the decision to not charge membership or subscription fee, but to have a flat fee, which could be done in a payment plan. Um, so it's, it's $600 and you can either buy a front or you can do, you know, a six month payment plan for hundred dollars a month. But once you're in, you're in, you get all of the updates and we've done many, uh, anything that we add to it is included. Uh, and then you go through it at your exception own, to that. you go through it at your own speed. Yep. Well, the, the intended speed is there are 30 days and it's intended that you do five days a week, Monday to Friday, take the weekends off and then start over. Uh, we're considering, and I think probably will also add a cohort thing to it. So right now you go through it by yourself, you do the exercises and there's one action guide to do every day. It takes less than 10 minutes. I mentioned one is go outside, find someone who will ask you how you're doing and be better than good. So there's one particular and if you don't, and, and what happens if you, if you don't do that for the day, you've got to basically follow it up the next day or, or. So this is, this is the problem is, is uh, the accountability right now is on the individual and hopefully, you know, your own drive takes you through and the fact that you've invested all the money to do it. But what we're realizing is the two biggest things that we could offer to our customers are accountability that is external and community. And that's one of the reasons that we're that we're considering cohorts, which would be a group of people who start say on, you know, July 1st and end halfway through August and have pretty consistent interaction, conversation, Zoom calls, such that there's social pressure to actually go out there and do these things, as well as a group of people who are peers who are going through it with you to ask for help um, that isn't just, you know, a coach that can respond to you. So we're looking at the cohort model. And I think that that's something that would be valuable uh, for a course like ours, hopefully something that we have set up by the end of the year as an option, many, not the only way to take it, but yeah. if you're interested. How many, how many hours would you say that you, that you work a week? You mentioned the four hour work week. Yeah, how yeah. many hours would you say if you had to, I know that as an entrepreneur, it's very tough to sort of, you know, <laughs> compartmentalize the hours, but what would you say? How many hours a week would you consider to be? So, work? so in the last several months, I've not made a video. Um, ben, my co-founder has done it. We've moved to one every two weeks. I've, I've really taken a step back in 2021. So <laughs> uh, a couple hours a week, I would say. How, how come? Why? Why did you step back a little bit? Um, a couple of reasons. One was because I felt like I'd said everything that I had to say. And I felt like I was repeating myself. And I was like, you know what? I'd rather have a tighter set of videos that were, that were you know, getting through rather than just repeating and, and our backlog is done quite well because I, 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 you know, have hopefully made those videos with some, you guys, do you guys change the thumbnails also? Yeah, we can chat about that. I'm happy to do it on the podcast, but that's deep nerdy YouTube stuff. That's been really, really valuable for us. That has kicked up and so many new, so much new interest in our back catalog um, has been doing thumbnail tests, but uh, yeah, Ben, how, right how now do you, how do you, how do you, really how do you test them? Where, where are you testing them? Tube buddy. Have you not done this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can give you some pointers and I'm happy to share them with, with, with your viewers as well, if you're interested, it, it gets nerdy fast, but we've in short, probably been able to kick up views 30 ish percent without adding new videos. And in fact, we're, we're slowing down our output. We've, we do two videos a month now. Um, wow. it's great. It's great to see people, you know, watching videos that I made in 2018 and, and still liking them. Yeah. 
And so, okay. Um, so back to the, back to the slowing down. So yeah. you feel like you, you felt like you said everything you don't want to necessarily just put out content to put out content. And so that was one reason. What were some other reasons? Uh, another reason is that I, in terms of like ambition, I have been, I think very fortunate enough to realize that earning more money and scale is not going to satisfy me. Uh, you know, the different, even, even helping more people doesn't satisfy me because I feel disconnected from the people who are taking this at home separate from me. So I've been much more interested in doing things that don't scale. So I've been working more to mentor our team, which for me has been more personally fulfilling. Uh, and I think for the team is, has made everybody even you know, more valuable to the business and their, their autonomy has grown and they're happier and they're earning more money. So the job that I do have now is calls with people on our team to try to help them be more analytical, see things differently, take a higher perspective. Uh, and that's really the work that I do. And it's a handful of calls a week that are about a half an hour to an hour each. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been great, honestly. Uh, the more that I've gotten out of the way and the more that I've said, this organization needs to not be my baby, my brainchild, my little protected thing that is exactly an avatar of what I'd like to be, but you guys can start to shape this. It's been challenging internally, but it's actually been really good for business. Um, so that's, that's what I've been up to. Very interesting. What about personally? What do you like to do, Charlie? Oh man, I've, I've become such a nerd lately. I actually, you know, one of the things with charisma is that uh, I've heard a metaphor that there's two mountains in life. The first mountain is achievement and success. And it's the only mountain you see when you're, you know, starting off, you're like, I need to get this, get that, have a wife, you know, <laughs> you know, that's that all these sorts of things. And then you get to the top of that mountain and the feeling that everybody has is, oh God, there's something else. And the second mountain is that internal sense of satisfaction, which is not based on doing more. So the things that I've enjoyed lately are kind of getting back to the, the nerdy roots that got me into Charisma on Command. So I play Dungeons and Dragons. I play uh, team video games with my friends. I've been interested in psychedelics uh, in terms of, you know, uh, personal growth and all those sorts of things, and introspection. So the future of Charisma on Command, I think, is going to look like psychedelic centers that are intended for people who feel like they've done the first mountain and are and are interested in. in, in I, uh, it's funny. Last, last night, I forget what I was watching, but they were talking about um, using psychedelics to treat like uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I have a buddy who's real big into, you know, sort of exploring that and, and, um, you know, it, it's all, it's all interesting. It's very, very interesting. And so, um, any, uh, any psychedelic, um, <laughs> advice for, for people yeah. out there in terms of oh, what, what is, what is the benefit, Charlie? Talk about that real quick. This sure. is something we haven't heard on this podcast yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'll say just, this has been part of the, you know, the third reason that I step back is because I did psychedelics and this is really what, what gave me clarity. And it's like, oh my gosh, you're a dog chasing his tail trying, you know, there was, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with it now. I wanted an Instagram blue check. I thought that that meant something. And, and it was just like, oh my gosh, so many of what you do, you see these guitars behind me. I picked up guitar for the first time because I wanted a girl to like me and I lost love of music as I learned to perform more for yeah. other people. So I, it, it really clued me into how much of my life was based on seeking validation. And of course, you know, I built, I built a website around it and I don't shame it. I think it's a really important step for a lot of people to take, which is to figure out how to master your environment. But for me, what has been much more fulfilling recently has been 
turning to the one-on-one -on -one interactions with my team members and I, uh, really going back to my family, spending more time with them, having conversations that should have been had 20 years ago and 15 years ago, and all the stuff that kind yeah. of just gets glazed over as you're growing up. Uh, that has been incredibly fulfilling, challenging, valuable. And that's, that's what I'm getting right now from psychedelics. And talk, what psychedelics specifically? So the one that there I are a bunch of them. people should there start, I started with ayahuasca and, and okay. that one has, can have um, a lot of dangerous effects. I, I recommend it sparingly and to people who have been well vetted, but I think one that is likely safe to do in a, uh, an environment where you're taking care of is MDMA. And that's because MDMA, if you go to a party, you're going to dance and love everybody. But if you do it in a room with a therapist and you cover your eyes, this is often the case with this PTSD treatment, mm -hmm. you will reflexively reveal parts of your psyche that were unconscious because it was too dangerous. And the MDMA kind of creates a safe wrapper where you're like, oh my God, I didn't realize that I've been compensating in this way or avoiding feeling this feeling and it but how do you really but, does but you, I, my question would be there has to be if you're going to be doing that and you mm -hmm. have a therapist there's got to be your there's got to be some type of direction or framework yeah. in order to 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 work within because Absolutely. just you know taking it and having it that you need the therapist obviously you need to have a, a goal your therapist also needs to be sort of on board with the goal and and maybe well well trained in in this sort of process, right? It can't just be a regular therapist, like, hey, I'm going to cover oh, my yeah. eyes, take MDMA and, and let's see what happens and roll the dice. Yes. So explain a little bit about that, because this is this is interesting. Sure. So, uh, yes, I've worked, the person that I've been working with has done it for 10 plus years um, and has worked with PTSD and all of those, those other sorts of things. So you start by one, you've got to do an intake to be like, how's your mental health? Like this is not for people that are on the edge. It's, it's, it's PTSD is totally fine and it can help you, but you need to make sure that there's not going to be any sort of long lasting issues. So that's step one. Then you'll have a number of conversations about your intention. And an intention is slightly different from a goal because the intention is something that you craft with your mind. You're like, Hey, I want to be more loving, or I want to be less frustrated and competitive and angry. Um, and you and your therapist will come to an agreement on, on what you're going to sort of hold as your intention. And then on the day where you do take MDMA, it often relates to your intention, but in a way that you did not expect. And that's natural because what's blocking you is unconscious. <laughs> the thing that is in your way is not something that you're aware of. If you were aware of it, you would have taken care of it by now. Sure. And so things from your past will come up. Um, and that's been the case with me that I was like, oh my God, I didn't think that affected me. And that has shaped so much of my life. And if I don't deal with this, feel these feelings, then I'm going to continue compensating without even realizing it. Um, and then your therapist afterwards helps you. And, is, and in my case, records what you've said, talks about it with you, helps you process it, and then make changes that may or may not be necessary based on your experience in your life. And so what about psychedelics as a recreational use like mm -hmm. you just want to have a good time and take some mushrooms go down to the <laughs> beach and hang out what like is that something else that you would you would like advise or or talk uh, a little bit about i mean i'm i'm the type of i don't drink uh i've only i only do psychedelics for for this purpose i let other people make that decision themselves and the truth is you know many people are totally safe comfortable and fine doing it that way that for me uh there's there's just so much more value in it if you're, if you're introspective, but that's not to poo-poo people's 
choices to do it, you know, on a beautiful day on the beach, if that's, if that's what suits them. And so, so you have used it to basically help discover who you are a bit better and, and, um, you know, basically help you sort of figure out that second mountain as you were talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I, I mean, I don't, we, you guys can cut this. I don't, I, this is not something that I'm sensitive with sharing these days, but in just in case it matters to someone else there, one of the things that came up for me is that I was molested when I was little and I had forgotten. I had just pushed it into a, a box and it's incredible that your brain can do those sorts of things. And for me, realizing it and the shame that came up and the, oh my God, I can't believe this. Uh, it, it was a very important thing for me to encounter and sure. something that I still am untangling and realizing how it, how its effects permeated into different areas of my life. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, you come in with an intention, but certainly that was not my intention. <laughs> that was something yeah. that surprised me when it came up, but has been incredibly valuable to, to realize and experience yeah. and go through in the safety of a therapeutic environment. No, it's interesting what your brain can do. Um, and this is something that I tell, tell people because I had a, I had a few abusive stepfathers when I was younger, not like sexually or, or physically, but emotionally, they did a number on me. And the interesting thing is I can't remember. Yeah. Literally like a block of from second grade until fifth grade. I can't remember. I don't remember living with the dude. I don't remember. Like I, I remember like what he looked like. I remembered the house, but I don't actually remember any of it. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it's very interesting. Now you're probably like, yeah, Yo, you got to go see a therapist and take care of that. I'm like, nah, I think I'm no, good. <laughs> I, I don't push people to, I really, you know, I, I, at first, when I first did it, it was like, I was evangelical. Yeah. Everyone's got to do this. And I realize yeah. now, um, when it's right and you'll hear about it from me and somebody else will say it. And when it's right, if it's right, you will seek it out. Uh, yeah. you have the ability to, but what I can say is it would not be, it's highly expected that memories would surface from that time period because your brain was protecting you and yeah. as was mine, you know, it's going, yeah. you can't handle this. You're too little for this shit. We got to survive. Yeah. Uh, and it does you a favor, quite frankly. Yeah. No. And, and it's interesting, but I, uh, I think one of the reasons why, you know, I have been, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable around people. I've come to realize about myself that I'm actually an introvert with, mm -hmm. you know, the ability to have extroverted, you know, sort of tendencies, but I get like recharged. Like I, can't be around too many people for too long. I've got to go be by myself. Like that's what fuels me. That's what gets me um, just feeling better when I'm around people. I feel very like, ah. and um, what I've come to realize is that my, my, one of the defense mechanisms from sort of that time in my life and moving schools and different marriages and things of that nature was I became really good at interacting with people because I wanted to just be, a, I, I just wanted to be liked. I didn't want to be that, that new kid. And so it sort of taught me to connect with people, you know, very quickly. Now, at the same time, I, I ended up going to therapy years later to deal with the issues that I was having, because from that experience, also, I lost my ability to stand up for myself with my, with my stepfathers, because mm -hmm. I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to have to move schools. I internalized everything and thought that, oh, if I was just kept my mouth shut, that everything would be cool. And I could, you know, just have a normal childhood, not the case. And, but when you're a warped little kid, you know, your brain does some weird things. And so, yeah. um, you know, it took me for me, you know, therapy, going and talking to therapists, different therapists to find the one that actually really helped me sort of figure things out. And I was holding on a lot of anger and hostility 
towards my mother, who's, you know, the person I love the most. And so yeah. um, therapy, you know, is, is a tool and, and they say it's a gift you give yourself, or maybe they say that about forgiveness, but um, it, it is, it's, it's very powerful. And, you know, it's something that, you know, I think a lot of guys in our society are very fearful to talk about and address some of the, some of the emotional issues that we face, but you got to talk about it. You got to get it out. You know, we are sure. not meant to harbor all of the, the, the pain and the anger and the hostility and, and, and sort of the, the stuff that we do. And so it's important to have a support system and to actually seek that out. I agree hundred percent. Charlie. One of the things that I've heard said is okay. that um, you see higher rates of depression in women uh, and you would, than you do in men. But part of the potential explanation is because what you do see in men is domestic abuse, alcoholism, you know, all of these other ways to express and uh, the difficult feeling of, of depression. So that there's this idea that male depression actually can go covert and can express itself in all of these other ways. And one of the ways to try to work through it in a more healthy manner is various forms of therapy, which I, which I am a big proponent of. I love it, Charlie. This has been really awesome. Did not take the direction that I thought it would, but I, I love talking about this stuff. Um, any final words to the entrepreneur out there that is thinking about starting a business? What is your your best piece of advice? It can be cliche. It can be yeah. It can be weird. Whatever you want. What is the advice that you would give somebody that wants to start a business but just doesn't really know where to start? Sure, I'll give I'll give uh, two broad categories. The first is is uh, philosophy, and that's that today on. TikTok, Instagram, you're going to encounter a lot of people that will tell you you can get rich quick. And what I would like you to keep in mind is that the best way to get rich is by providing value to other people, as cliche as it sounds. And all of the get rich quick schemes have one thing in common. They have zero interest in that. They, they do not care about satisfying a customer or making the world a better place. And that's how you know that they're not going to work in the long term for you or for anyone else. Um, and then the second thing is just very tactically, the things that helped me the most were reading the four hour work week. There's a course called marketing step-by-step. Step. If you guys are interested, it's not mine. It's by a guy named Evan Pagan. Um, and then that last thing that I mentioned was the, I think the interactive offer. And those last two you can do when you're a bit more established because they are a bit more money, but start with uh, the four hour work week. If you're a reader, that was something that really helped me. I love it. Guys, if you want to check out Charlie and everything that he's doing, you can go to his YouTube channel. We're going to link everything down below, Charisma on Command, or you can go to Charisma University. What is it? Charisma University.com. If you just if you Google Charisma University, it'll come up. It's it's, it's a, a weird, it's a weird. Page. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Charlie, thank you so much for hanging out with me. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, I've known you over the years. I got to meet you once, but this was really cool just sitting down and and having a conversation. So I really appreciate your time and and continued success. Hopefully, next time I'm out in Santa Monica. We can run into each other and you can take me to like a yoga retreat. Or <laughs> Some cool hip new California vegan. Exactly. I, I, exactly. <laughs> this is amazing. I'm never leaving. Anyway, Charlie, That's thanks good. so much for everything, brother. And take care. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks, Paul, for setting this up. Bye-bye. Gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you dug it, make sure to drop us a review, also a rating, as this helps the podcast reach more incredible gentlemen just like yourself. And don't forget to subscribe because it's free and you don't want to miss another incredible episode. Guys, thank you so much for your continued support. I think you're amazing. And don't forget how awesome you are.